Hello and welcome to the Browns Blitz. Today is Tuesday, July 28th, and this is episode number 62. I'm your host, Rod Bloom, and joining me today is my brother, Jeff. How are things going for you, Jeff? Doing good, Rod. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. Uh, no complaints whatsoever. Uh, we have a special guest with us tonight that doesn't really need an introduction, but uh, we'll give him one anyways. <laughs> Chris McNeil. Chris, how are you? Special guest. Oh, <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Thanks for having me on. Well, it, I mean, it's it's overdue. I've been, I've been doing podcasts for a long time. And I have to tell you, Chris, I've kind of always thought that, you know, I do some big special show and have you on. And I finally just said, you know what? I just need to have Chris on my podcast. So you've so done my- what? Six, 61 podcasts before you decided to have me on? <laughs> is that right? This is 62? This is 62, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. So you did 61, and then you're like, okay, now I'll have them on. Well, that's that's the problem <laughs> with saying what number it is, because anytime <laughs> I have anybody on now, they're like, yeah, they're like, you did how many before you invited me? And yeah, you're you're a prime example. I should have had you on a long time ago, but, but I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I've been looking forward to talking to you. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm number one. You're number one in my heart. I'm number 62 in yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, what can I say to that? Okay. Well, <laughs> anyways, um, we're going to. This could uh, be a long hour for you, Rod. <laughs> it could be. But hey, you know what? I've got it coming. I've got it coming to me. And I'm going to take it. So, hey, um, we're going to go real quick through the Blitz beverages because uh, the guys decided not to join me in this uh, tonight. So, um, I picked something out that I thought was kind of close to something that my brother might appreciate because I've been kind of taking some flack for being a beer snob. So I, I grabbed a Yingling. It, it's a Yingling black and tan. So I don't know if this really counts as like a regular beer or not, but I'm drinking a, uh, I'm drinking a pint of Yingling black and tan. It was now the closest. You're, doing that. you're doing that on a day where the Browns report, right? You're drinking a beer from Pennsylvania, from Pittsburgh. A yangling. yangling. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. I mean, it's your show. You do whatever you want on your show. Well, you know what, Chris? I had to get the damn thing out of my refrigerator, didn't I? (laughs) (laughs) I had one in there, and it was the closest thing I had in my refrigerator to a Budweiser that I thought my brother would kind of, you know, say – you know, hey, this is kind of less beer snobbish than he usually is. So I thought I'd go for it. So a working man's right. beer. Yeah. Who am I to judge? Yeah. Cheers. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right, we're we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get into the the meat of the podcast here, Chris. I'm gonna yes, give you the floor and. The first thing we like to do with our guests is to let them talk about their Browns, uh, their their journey as a Browns fan. So, I know you're I know you're in the Columbus area. Uh, kind of tell people how you became a Browns fan. Uh, you know, uh, some of your maybe your earlier memories, some of your high points, um, favorite players. You know, from an early point. Uh, just kind of tell us how you got to where you are now or or uh, 
I mean, we, we know you're a huge fan now, but even how you got to where you were, you know, five or 10 years ago. So you're going to indulge me here. I love it. I love yes, it. I, I, I love talking about how I became a fan because, you know, and you know, as well as anybody else, we've all got a story. You know, you don't just yeah. wake up one day and decide to be a Browns fan. You've no. got a lineage. It, it goes back to family. It goes back to friends. It goes back to where you lived. You know, people like to talk vividly about where they were for specific games. And it's no different with me. No different with me. You know, right. um, my dad and my my father's side of the family are all from Kent, Ohio. Right. And uh, so they've we've have years and years of lineage of Browns and Cleveland fans on the McNeil side. And uh, my dad moved around quite a bit when I was a kid. He worked for Owens Corning, which is out of Toledo, and uh, ended up landing when I was young up in Medina, Ohio. And uh, I lived in Bath. And, uh, you know, I had been raised a Browns fan, but I really became a big time Browns fan when I was about seven, my parents had season tickets at old municipal. And, uh, when I was seven, that was right at the mid eighties, right? Bernie Kosar, Webster Slaughter, Brian Brennan, Ozzie Newsome. I mean, you could go down the list. Um, but one of the first games that I went to was the Browns divisional playoff. Uh, this was in, uh, what was it? 1986 against the jets. Do you guys remember that game? This is this this thing has completely molded my life. We were up in the upper deck and that's where my parents season tickets were in like the upper upper deck. In fact, it's kind of mm -hmm. funny. We'd sit across and it was my dad. It was me who was able to go to the games whenever somebody wouldn't want to go. Uh, my dad's brother, Greg, and then his wife at the time. And there was always a seat that was behind a pole. And you guys know this at Old Municipal. If you're up in the upper deck, there's always one behind the pole. Well, <laughs> for my, my Uncle Greg, my dad's brother, uh, he, she's no longer his wife now. But back then, we used to put her behind the pole because <laughs> 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 she didn't really care about the game. She was there to be seen, so they'd always put her behind the pole. Uh, <laughs> kind of a one-off <laughs> story there. But uh, I was at that game. And I'll never forget, with, with four minutes left in that ball game, Browns down by 10, uh, there were people just streaming out of the upper deck, right? And there's little seven-year-old me. I was standing on my seat. You remember those old wooden seats, those wooden uh -huh. yellow seats they had, and just yelling to the crowd, going, they're going to come back. They're going to come back. You don't know what you're going to miss. It, you guys are idiots. And, you know, I was getting a lot of looks from the fans like, yeah, sure, kid. You know, some people giving me smiles like, oh, that's cute. He still has faith. And, and I was. I, I was yelling at the top of my lungs at these folks. And, of course, Mark Gastineau ends up hitting Bernie Kosar late. We drive down. We tie it up. We win it in overtime. And, guys, I will never forget leaving the stadium that day and just the enthusiasm of the crowd. It felt like an, I, I, like a Super Bowl victory. I mean, everybody was just so jacked up, you know, people driving yeah. around with horns just, and yelling, here we go, brownies, here we go. You know how it, how it goes, going across the train tracks on the way back. And that is just so instilled in my brain. And, and that just 
seed of optimism that the Browns, everybody was streaming out of the upper deck. Everybody thought the Browns were going to lose. And sure enough, they turned it around and they won that ball game. Um, and yeah, Chris, that, Chris I, I hate to interrupt you, but I kind of feel like I've heard this story before. And the reason is that Jeff was at that game. So, so well, Jeff, you know, Chris, I, I got to tell you, Chris, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad to know that you and I were both among the approximately two million people that say they were at that game. Well, um, I was at that one. And probably, then, of course, it, Len, Len Barker's. Perfect well, I'm game. sure you, you were there, yeah, too. Right. Yeah, yeah. We were all yeah, at everybody. that game. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, but it, but Jeff, it was I was going to ask you if you remembered hearing Chris stand on the seat and yell because weren't you were you in the upper deck for that game? Well, he was probably one of those pesky little kids that I kept swatting at and saying, you know, get away from me, kid. You're bothering me. I had a lot of those. I had a lot of those interactions. I do remember that vividly. <laughs> Anyways, uh, sorry to interrupt. Let, let's, uh, I'm going to let you go on with your, with your recollections. Well, it, 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 that's where it all started, right? And it always, it always starts with a moment. And, and then I'm so stuck in that moment of Cleveland Browns fandom, of being an old municipal, of watching us come back against the Jets, of guys like Bernie Kosar, who just, as you guys know, embodied the city so much. He wanted to come back here. Uh, the Browns made a way to make so they could draft him. Um, and then he just got the crap beat out of him. And he just kept coming back and coming back. He wasn't the most talented guy on the, on the field. Uh, he was one of the smartest and I, I, I will I will go to the wall for Bernie Kosar and his, his football smarts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he embodied everything that you wanted out of a football player and he really embodied the city and you just it was so easy to grasp onto those teams and, and just live and die with them. And that's what we did, right? The Denver Broncos then just killed yeah. us two straight seasons after that. Everybody knows how the story goes. And you know that started everything. It, the Browns were my first love. Absolutely my first love. Um, it, it, the Browns are what led me into the Indians. The Indians are what led me into the Cavs. And, uh, and it all started with that game, with that enthusiasm, and that promise, that promise of something more that we still haven't seen yet here as I sit in <laughs> 2020 talking about a game from 1986. Yeah, it's kind of nuts when you think about it. It's kind of like when we were when we were kids and hearing about you know, 1964 and before that, or, or 19, you know, or, or the Indians with 1948 and 1954. That's sooner or later, you know, other than the, obviously the Cavs championship. Now we, you know, we're looking for something to where we don't have to refer back to those, those games that were so, so long ago. Yeah. Yeah, and hopefully we're getting close with our Browns, you know. That's what we walk into every season with an optimism, and we have reason for optimism once again this season, assuming we do have a season. I I really like the direction that the team has taken here recently, and I really think that we're starting to put some pieces in place. Tell me if you haven't heard this before, that that makes us actually (laughs) a, a playoff contender. Now, Wait till next year. You know, that's that's classic in Cleveland. We all know the cliche, uh, but that's what we're with. That's who we are as Cleveland fans. We keep coming back every single year. And you know what? Eventually, we're going to be right. Eventually, we're going to yeah. be right. Our team is going to be in the playoffs. Our team is going to be past the playoffs into the Super Bowl, and we're going to win it all. Um, but it, it takes a very resilient fan base like ours 
to think it can be us every single year, even in the face of unbelievable doubt against us from everyone else, including reality. (laughs) You're right. Yeah, I can't put it any better than that, Chris. So let's let's uh, we're going to get back to the Browns. I wanted to talk a little bit about your your journey on Twitter. And I'm going to go back uh, because you and I you and I started about the same time we uh, we started we started writing at CST together and I had been on Twitter for I don't know maybe maybe a month and you had been around for a while. I just I remember you had about 5000 followers at the time and I had about 5 or 10 at the time. And I think you, I think you gave me my first retweet, and I mean, I think it was the first you time. Remember I, your first, right? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I think it was the first time my phone ever like went, you know, where where I ever my phone ever went like ding ding, you know, <laughs> like I ever got like like any action on my phone ever, you know. Um, so, it, and you think back, and I mean. It, 5,000 followers is, is, is a lot for people, but obviously you have way more than that now. Um, but, uh, you know, back then, you, you know, I, I just, I remember you wrote a couple articles and, and stuff and, uh, it, it's probably been a long time since you've written anything maybe. Yep. Yep. Um, right. but, uh, um, I just kind of wanted to go through and ask you a couple questions just about, you know, just about this, the journey that you've been on with, with Twitter, you know, um, because what a long, strange trip it's been. Yeah. The the way I remember it, you you already had your, you already had your profile set up the way it is now way back then. Right. Has been that way pretty much since the beginning. Right. Yeah. Ever since I first got on there, um, I pretty much, you know, I, I, that's, that's an iconic photo. Um, that, that I've taken as my avi for, for anybody who has, has seen it, um, of the cigar guy. And yeah. basically that's, that's a guy that's a fan who dressed up as Miguel Jimenez, uh, for a Ryder cup back in 2010, I believe. Um, and the actual photo that that comes from is just unbelievably fantastic. I've always said, if I get a really nice office, I want to blow up this entire photo and put it behind me because it's a photo of Tiger Woods hitting a golf ball directly at the camera. So you see that circle right in front of the camera, that white circle. And so if the ball's right there, you've got the whole crowd, everybody behind looking and focused on that one spot. And that one spot is in front of the camera, so they're all looking at you as you're looking at this photo. And it's, it's just so surreal. And then mm-hmm. when you pan from the left to the right, you see all the normal fans. You see about what you'd expect. And then all of a sudden, you see this guy that you swear is Photoshopped in. And that yeah. cigar guy. This guy is such a big fan He of Miguel Jimenez. He went dressed as Miguel Jimenez. And it just stands out. And... I have always loved that photo. So when I created my Twitter account, I, I was surprised to see that no one else had really grabbed that photo and used it as their AV. So I, I grabbed it, and I haven't changed it since. Early on, I had somebody tweet at me saying, I don't know whether this reflaw guy is really funny or if it's just funny because of his AV. 
And ever yeah. since I saw that response, I said, I can never change it. Because that no. is perfect. That is perfect. If they can't figure it out, then that is perfect. <laughs> so, so uh, what was your... Uh, I remember the the the, uh, the tweet of the airline. Did you have a yeah. the, the airplane? Did you have a, a bigger tweet before that that really that, took off? That was pretty much the biggest. So I I'll, I'll take you back to to what what brought me onto Twitter, right? And it, it's almost like a, a sad story um, because you know my my now ex wife. One of the things that we enjoyed doing together was watching sports. Right. And, uh, you know, we would go back and forth and I'd make my my stupid, sarcastic comments, some that I think are witty. Um, but then as 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 my marriage, unfortunately, uh, started breaking down, it was like we weren't watching sports together. So it was me watching sports by myself. And of course, I still had what I believed to be very witty comments to make about these sports. Um, and uh, I had no place to go. Uh, so I heard about this Twitter thing and, and I start getting on there. And one of the things that drew me to Twitter was was the fact that I can interact directly with celebrities with with like like there's no wall there. Uh, I'll yeah. never forget, like the first time on there, Deion Sanders, of all people, was having like a domestic dispute with his ex. And he was posting photos about it. And the whole and I'm like, is this really happening? Like. I'm seeing this like the world is seeing this. We're seeing this man melt down on Twitter in real time. This is a real thing. And uh, yeah. And, and for a little while, I was like, well, I, I you know, I love sports. So I'm just going to retweet sports stuff. And I you know I'll, I'll I'll just kind of be one of those that, that grabs the headlines from ESPN. And I'll re retweet that the stuff that's interesting to me. And I think it'll be interesting to others. Well, then I started incorporating some of these these stupid, you know, uh, what I think are witty comments into it. And, and that's where it started to really take off. And as you know, there's something just interesting and something different about Cleveland Twitter. That same passion I was talking about where it comes to the Browns, it's such a communal feel that oh, yeah. you don't get anywhere else. And once I started tapping into that, it, it takes me back to like that 1986 game, right? Where it's like, I'm not the only one yelling, right? You got all mm -hmm. the crowd around you. And that's kind of what you feel like on game day if you're on Twitter. You know, you've got all these people putting out their thoughts. You know, some people may be fighting about it. Some people who are just like, yeah, I completely agree. Retweet. I mean, that's the same kind of just craziness that, that, that really attracted me to it. And that's where it grew from that base. And then, of course, you got teams like the Cavs, who are really good, where our fan base could go up against other fan bases, i.e. Golden State, and rip on them. And that's where we really have two, two games going on. You have the game that's on the court, and then you have the game that's on Twitter between our fans and their fans. And I have equal as much, you know, I have as much fun watching the game on TV as I would participating in the game on Twitter. And uh, oh, yeah. so that's where you started getting some momentum, right? And I started growing a little bit. And then you asked about the United meme. This one is, this is the one thing that, I, that always kind of drives me nuts about Twitter. Some of my favorite tweets or things that I think are just like a Picasso, people hate, right? <laughs> or it, yep. it's like, it gets nothing. It's you like, never know. I thought about this. This has got so many levels to it. Don't you people understand how <laughs> great this is, right? This is, right. this is art. Don't you people get it? And, uh, and, and it won't go anywhere. It won't go anywhere. And, 
that United meme was was literally it's almost embarrassing to say I, I i saw the news about the guy getting dragged off unfortunately on the plane and immediately it came to my head fight club right i was like mm-hmm. oh i could take this to the next level i'll just go on and i could probably grab a seating chart from united pretty quickly and do something in notes and i'll just post fight club on it that and i'm like that's really dumb that's that's stupid. Like people are gonna kill me for putting that out there. Like that is so lame. Um, and, and I was literally in the bathroom, and I was sitting doing my business, and I put that together, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, like immediately, immediately, it started getting retweeted, and it just took off. Like it, it's. I think it's got over a hundred thousand retweets right now. Um, it went huge. It was picked up by the media. People were asking me about it. And not only that, but then there was like serious discussions about the meaning of that tweet. And here it is, a tweet I didn't want to put out. I, I thought about it for about two seconds. I thought it was <laughs> dumb myself. I, I slapped together a, just a clip art type of deal or a Photoshop type of deal and and it was really sloppily done, in my opinion. And I shot it out there. And here it's getting, like, analyzed by The Economist magazine. <laughs> like, I see it in the Wall Street you didn't put Journal. put that much thought into it. Yeah. No, I see it in the Wall Street Journal uh, oh where they're gosh. talking about this. And, and, of course, they're talking about it in the context of, you know, um, it's just an indicator of the way that society is reacting to what happened. And, you know kind of a humorous take on it. And now, you know, years later, because this was several years ago, I have people who are sitting in college classes sending me pictures where the professors are teaching a class and they put that up there as an example of bad customer service or of of, custo- of, of, oh of businesses that don't get it. I got one from UC. There were a couple of others. It's like, oh, my God. This was a dumb tweet I didn't want to put out. Like, I, I take zero pride in that tweet. I, I guess that's not, a, that's not fair to say. I, I mean, I, I'm very proud of the fact that I had something that was that popular that went out there. But in terms of the tweet itself, it, it's not that original. It, it's, it's really, there's, there's nothing that's that deeply thought-provoking in my mind to it. But it caught on like that. Now, I could sit there and come up with something that, that quotes that quotes, you know, something out of literature and relates it to pop culture and is just the most beautiful tweet I've ever come up with. And I'll get one dude going lame and that's right. it. And like a like, and I'll be like, that's it. That's yeah. You get like two likes on it. That's exactly right. That's how it that's works. Exactly, <laughs> that's exactly right. So, so it's amazing. I mean, it's just a different world, but once you, once you kind of internalize that and realize that that's just the lay of the land with this stuff, you just roll with it. You just roll with it. What's nice is then that allows you to ride out some of the times where people just don't get your jokes or don't get what you're doing. Because you're like, hey, that just happens sometimes. That just happens. This episode of the Brown Splits is brought to you by tshirthooligan.com. Follow them on Twitter at Hooligan T-Shirt. Don't forget to register for the free T-Shirt giveaway for July. Just follow this podcast. Follow at B and follow hooligan t-shirt then send a dm to Rod b and you will be registered for a drawing that will happen at the beginning of the month of august now back to the show
So do you remember who your first, either your first big follow or your first big interaction was with somebody? Oh, my first boy, boy. Um, yes, I, I, I remember one of my first big ones. Um, the Browns, oh, who that oh, now I'm going to forget his name. The Browns signed that free agent running back from the Texans. Oh, that was four years ago. Who was that? It was a big signing at the time. Uh, let's see if I can come up with it real quick. <laughs> chirp, chirp. We're all like, yeah. Jeff, you can chime in anytime. Um, I got nothing. Yeah. Ben Tate. Ben Tate, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when when the heck did he even sign? He signed. It, it seems like now now as I say the name, it doesn't even sound like a big name. But at the time, that it, was a it was a big deal at the time. I don't. I think they they needed a running back then. I mean, now it's like we don't need a running back. That was back in 2014. We needed Ben. We needed a running back. That's exactly right. And so we signed Ben Tate, right? And I put out because um, somebody was like, "Is this a big deal for the Browns?" And I think I put a tweet out. It was something along the lines of, I don't know, can he play quarterback? And I copied or I um, um, I tagged him in that tweet. Mm-hmm. And I like walked out of the room and I was in the bathroom, like I think brushing my teeth or something. All of a sudden, my phone just starts going nuts, just starts going nuts. And he responded to that tweet with a picture of himself throwing a ball. And he's like, I've tried. I'm not very good. I'm like, oh my God! Look <laughs> at this. He's responding, and and then it just went nuts. It went nuts after that. So, yeah, that that was so probably Chris, my first. Ben Tate of all people. That's that's a wild, wild one. It was big at the time. Huh? It was. It really was. So my my takeaway so far, Chris, from your stories is I need to spend more time on Twitter when I'm in the bathroom. Yes, that's exactly right. Why do all my stories revolve around Twitter in the bathroom? That's kind of odd. Yeah, I guess that. I guess that's where I do my best work. Yeah, so, so, uh, so, Chris, what, what's the what's the the best part about about being reflog, and what's the worst part about being reflog? Oh, I don't know. You know, I, I think the best part about it is it's it's an outlet of something that I like to do, right? I mean, yeah. I have always been a huge fan of all Cleveland teams. I know some people don't believe that with the whole parade thing that like I like to rip on the team and most of my tweets end up being sarcastic about the team. Uh, But that's just the way I am as a person. And that's the way I've grown up as a Cleveland fan. And that's very much anybody who knows my family, who knows the people I've been around. That's just the that's just who I am. So I don't like even though Reflog is a character. Right. And uh, yeah, it's still very much so my sensibility. It's 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 genuine to me. It's not something that I've created that like I have to fit into um, a character. It, it really is who I am. So I, I think you know if I had grown up as a kid, as a kid it was like, hey, if I were to do anything with my life, I wanted to be like a defensive end for the Cleveland Browns, right? And then <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. Uh, then I wanted to be like a PGA Tour golfer. That never quite happened. And But I still, you still have those dreams as a kid of being around these sports, being involved, having an excuse to be around these sports or talk about sports. And that's what it gives me, right? When I need an outlet, it's going to be there. And I really enjoy that. And And the fact that there's other willing people who, if I want to put out a dumb tweet about the Indians right now, 
or the Browns, there's going to be willing parties who want to talk about it too. And I think that's really yeah. cool. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So do you think, is there anything bad? Anything negative? Uh, you know, I, I think the thing that I don't like is where people misinterpret things um, to the extent where you sit there and go, that's just not me, you know, <laughs> or, right. or, or they say, I, I don't know that, that I'm disingenuous about things that I'm actually ingenuous, you know, that I'm, that are actually mean a lot to me. Um, you know, there are certain things like, uh, you know, my cousin died of an, an overdose, a heroin overdose, unfortunately, uh, a few years back. So you'll see some things that come out about that. And it's very difficult with what I do to be able to kind of straddle both of sending out a serious message at times while other times just being a goofy idiot. Right. <laughs> and uh, and so I think yeah. that gets confused sometimes with me, you know, not being in, you know, being disingenuous when I'm talking about serious things. So that gets a little frustrating. But, you know, when you're talking about the landscape of everything I do, that's really, really a small thing, a small, you know, a, really a small part of, of everything um, yeah. with all the positives I get out of out of what I do there. Yeah, I think the, the bigger your platform, kind of the more under the microscope you are when they think you put out. So yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. So. It, and I'll tell you a second thing, and this is, I don't know if this is going to sound crappy or not, but I'm always amazed, and this is one thing, and it's not just a Twitter thing. I guess this is just a real world thing. You know, at times you'll do things for people and you feel real good about it at the time. And then you'll find out later on that they blocked you for some reason. <laughs> and you say, what the heck? Like, I've had, oh, yeah. some, I've had some instances where, you know, I've had people who have had horrible life events happen to them, right? Just horrible things. And they're like, hey, you've got a big platform. Can you help me out? Can you tweet this? Can you do this? And you say, oh, absolutely. You know, I'm going to do it. I, I, and I genuinely want to help these folks. And I'll do it. And I'll come back and just like, hey, I haven't heard from such and such in a while. I wonder what they're doing. You click on them and they blocked me for some reason. It's like, what? <laughs> What, what the heck, you know, and it's just amazing to me. It's like, did I not? Wow. And, and you got to just let it roll off your back and you got to realize yeah. that if you're doing something for somebody else, it's got to be, it's got to be true that that's what you want to do. Don't do it for any other reason other than you want to help that person out in the moment because that person in three days could hate your guts and be talking crap about you to everybody else. And you just got to live with it. That's the world of Twitter. That's that's really the world. So that's always struck me. And that's something I learned through Twitter that I didn't know before. Yeah. So let, I want to let you brag on yourself for a minute. What's the what's the thing you're most proudest of, you know, um, as far as what you've done with your platform? The I, thing that's, that you think has helped the most or, you know, what you've been able to use your platform for to to help. Yeah, you know, I think a lot gets forgotten with the whole parade thing and the Owen 16 parade. Um, they forget about the Cleveland Food Bank part of that. And yeah. the fact that, you know, the year before we went Owen 16, I know you guys are very familiar with this, we went one in 15, beating mm -hmm. the Chargers on Christmas Eve. And when we won that game, all the money that I had collected up until that point on the parade, that all went to the Cleveland Food Bank. And then the following year, when we had the parade, we collected food down there at the parade site, 
And then anything above the cost of basic, basically the security, um, porta potties, um, I think that was that was the majority of it. There really weren't any other expenses above that. Um, that all went to the Cleveland Food Bank as well. So I'd like doing that where I could do something that's completely silly and stupid like the Owen 16 parade and then also be able to give back to the community and say, hey, hey, listen, we, we had some dumb fun. You know, I, our team sucked. And uh, we, we were getting sick of our team sucking. We were trying to do a tongue-in-cheek um, kind of protest, if you will, about it. But at the same time, we also did some good for this community as well. Even though we, we may have taken something and, and maybe we take a little bit in the national media for look at what these idiots are doing. At the same time, we also gave back to that same community. So I, I feel yeah. really good about that. And I, I, whenever we do things, I, I do look for those opportunities to give back, whether it's to the food bank, whether it's through you know cover two with the heroin stuff. Those things are also important. You know, and, right. and if sometimes those come off as disingenuous. I know people say, well, you just attached that so you could have the parade or whatever else. And, and you got to kind of kind of deal with that. But uh, I honestly like being able to say, hey, for all the dumb things that I do on Twitter, there is a small amount of good things that I do, too. So that when I leave Twitter at some point, they could say, hey, there are some positives that this guy did did do in the world. Yeah. So, so for you personally, what's been your, what's been the biggest dream come true for you so far? Maybe somebody you've met or, or something else you've been able to do because of, because of your success on Twitter. Yeah. It's always, it always comes down to the kids. It it really comes down to my kids, my three kids. Um, (laughs) You know, I have such a love of Cleveland sports and sometimes it is tough tough to pass that along that same passion with video games with everything else youtube all the other things that kids these days can do out in the world other than sit down and watch an indians game for nine innings watch a browns game for four quarters um Mm -hmm. watch a Cavs game for four quarters and I've been able to take them, you know, the Indians have been kind enough back when they had the family suite that they used to give away the social suite. I, I got that once and they sent up like mustard and, and onion and, and ketchup up to and, and, and the kids were able to take pictures and have a good time with them. And actually, my youngest at the time uh, punched mustard in the in the junk. So that's something <laughs> we still talk about to this day. I still he was like three at the time and he punched mustard. So family members. <laughs> Memories like that, right? <laughs> yeah. um, also, the first Browns game that I brought my kids to, uh, the Browns in- invited us down on the field for warm-ups, and uh, it was against the Bengals, and um, we got blown out that day. I think it was like 52-7 or something. It was an ugly, ugly game. Uh, but I had the kids down on the field for that. Uh, we were able to sit uh, fairly close. It was just about courtside for the Cavs for a random game where I was with the kiddos. So it's stuff like that that I enjoy more than anything else. Being able to, to you know, like I was saying earlier, when I went to the game in 1986, yeah, I'm sitting in the upper, upper, upper deck at Municipal yeah. and absolutely loved it. Wouldn't trade it for the world. And now I got to convince my kids that, hey, it's okay to sit out. You know, when we go to an Indians game and, and it has nothing to do with the Indians and they're not helping me out here, we're going to be sitting in the bleachers. We're not going to be sitting. I'm not getting us seats right behind the home plate. Uh, but when we can do it, when we can do it, it, it's really cool that I'm able to share that with the kiddos, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that's excellent. So I can't, uh, I can't let you go. Um, and we're going to talk some Browns here in a minute, but, but I can't, uh, can't, can't let you get away um, from the part about you without asking about your golf game and how COVID has affected your ability to get out on the golf course this year, and and how that's going for you. Yeah, well. It's not so much COVID that keeps me away from the golf kid golf course as much as it is it's my kids and and everything that they've got going. Uh, but this season, I've only been out twice. Uh, uh, first time though, the first time out, and you're letting me brag a little bit here. First sure. time out was about three weeks ago. Uh, I shot even par at Bent Tree down here in Columbus. Uh, the second round was actually last weekend. I went out, shot even par on the front nine, and then I fell apart, shot a 44 on the back for an 80. But I felt pretty good Horrible. that three of my four first rounds, uh, first nines, were at, at par. So, uh, and that was unexpected. Trust me. I wasn't shooting like that last year. I mean, I've been a, I've been a 70s player for, since high school, but um, ha- haven't, <laughs> haven't come out the gates quite like I did this year, which is good because allegedly um, I'm supposed to be playing with JW and the Browns um, and Nathan Zagura. Uh, we're supposed to have a match. Myself and Lee Foster, who's a guy I met through Twitter, who happens to be a good golfer, uh, played in college. Uh, we're supposed to be matched up, kind of a hashtag me versus Browns, where us two are going to take on those two. But they've kind of gone radio silent on us, so I don't know with the Brown season actually starting up, whether they have things that are a little bit more important than our little golf match. But eventually I'm going to get those guys out there, and, and hopefully I can take them down. Then maybe they're scared. That's what I would like to think, but <laughs> until until I happen to look up what their USGA handicaps are, and and, and JW is like a two, and Nathan Zagura is like a scratch golfer, like he's a legit scratch or one <laughs> handicap. I thought I would be going out there being the best player. I'm going to be the worst player out of the four because oh Lee's better than I am too. So I, I'm I'm a little nervous. So if it gets punted a little bit, uh, you know, I, I could use a little bit of extra practice before we actually play. Oh wow. Well, I mean, I hope that happens. I'm sure it'd be a blast, and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you'll do just fine. I'm sure you'll uh, represent yourself quite well. I appreciate that, Rod. Thank you. <laughs> sure thing. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the Browns. I mean, you started to get into it a little bit earlier, Chris, but uh, you sound kind of optimistic. I, is this true optimism, or is it kind of the optimism that you have every time a new regime comes on? You know, I can't even tell anymore. We've done it so many times, I can't <laughs> tell anymore. Uh, I think this is genuine optimism, but then I think back and think about when Kitchens came in. I think I had genuine optimism then, too. So yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just about every coaching change and every regime change, I have reasons for optimism. Um I, I don't know. I, I think that we've got the most talent that we've had in a long time on this squad now. And I like I like what I'm hearing from Stefanski. I, I like his his philosophy of his specifically his offensive philosophy of using tight ends. Um, I, I really feel that this team can unlock their over the top potential by running the ball with Chubb, using tight ends, and then opening up things for Landry and OBJ. And I think that Kevin Stefanski is the guy who's going to kind of drive the bus on that happening. So 
we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I really have a good feeling about that, though. I think we're going to see some things offensively that we haven't seen before. And I think the result of all of that is going to be Baker Mayfield back there, a little bit more comfortable in the pocket. We're going to have a zone-blocking scheme up front. Uh, I think that they're going to do things that are going to help Baker Mayfield and, and make it so Baker doesn't have to be um, a superstar every time out. He doesn't have to feel like he's the savior out there um, so that he is more comfortable. I got really disheartened last year when he was overthrowing a lot of balls. Every game yeah. it seems to, yeah. that I went to in person, he even looked worse in person when you get out there and you see him overthrowing. It's like, woo, that's really bad. Uh, but with the running game we could have, uh, some of the underneath stuff we could have uh, to really open up things, I think it'll make it better for Baker. And as Baker goes, I think this team's going to go. So is this is the defense yeah. going to be good enough to to keep the Browns, you know, in the game, uh, you know, enough to where they can stick with the run? And that's the question, right? I mean, that's 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 a big one. That's a big yeah. one. And I like what we've got up front. I I really get concerned when you go to the second level with the linebackers now, yeah. right? I mean. Yeah. I like Mac Wilson. I think he's a good guy. He's got to come a long way to play that middle linebacker position for us. I, I really believe that. Same with Taki Taki. Our, you know, I don't know how exactly it's gonna, it's gonna end up, kind of flushing out there. You got a lot of young guys there. You got a lot of young guys, and you know, having a lot of young guys, as we know with Browns teams, a lot of times means you have nobody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you just yeah. got a lot of young guys. You don't really have a guy. Um, you know, and, and, and in the secondary, looking at whether Denzel Ward is going to be able to stay healthy, I think he is a tremendous talent. And it, it hurts me that he has been injured and as dinged up as he has been because I think he could be fabulous, absolutely fabulous. Uh, and maybe I'm a little bit of an Ohio State homer with that. I, I think we all get in, sucked into that, but that's okay. We could be that way. Um, I, I think that guy. I think that guy could be something special. I would love to see him get a full full year in. Greedy Williams, he's got to come a long way. He's got to come a long way in my mind. I've been very disappointed by him on the other side. So, you know, as a unit, we'll see what they can do. I think up front, you know, you got Miles Garrett. We just signed him. It, it's nice to see that finally we are drafting a guy. We are developing a guy. We are signing a guy. And that's what we did with Miles. I hope I hope it works out. I think with a guy like Miles, it will. Um, but it's nice to have that anchor on that defense because I, I think the defense can surprise some people this season if everything works out. Yeah, I agree. And Jeff and I have talked about that a lot on the podcast. It's the fact that yeah. the Browns draft guys, and they aren't here long enough, you know, to, to be here during their prime, you know, they, they end up leaving you know, still under their rookie contract in most cases. Yeah. And so it's good to see somebody like Miles you know, that they've committed to him uh, to be here, you know, till he's what, 30 or 31, I think. So it's really something well, that, different. That's, that's the, the elusive foundation that we've, we've been looking for for, a couple of decades now, right? It's guys getting into <laughs> that second contract. Um, yeah. You know, so it's great to see it with miles, you know, I mean, you, you need to, and, and, you know, Chris, you're talking about the, the guys with, you know, 
all the talent in the world, but the you know the thing that turns you into a great, a consistently good team is taking those guys with talent, you know, talented players and, or talented individuals, and making them consistently good performing players. And when you can get five, six, seven, eight years out of somebody um, at a high level, you know, do that enough times, and you're going to be a good team year in and year out. We, you know, we just have too many question marks every year and, and lack of consistency to really, be, you know, have, have ever experienced that. Yeah, well, and, and the whole continuity question is just well, it's something that's plagued this this whole organization, whether it be uh, from the ownership from the front office and then it trickles on down to the players. Cause when you're changing, you're constantly changing things, the players end up getting changed. And right. hopefully, hopefully now we're, we're going to get a system in place where we have a funnel where we're bringing in guys, we're developing them, we're signing them. And we can consistently do that over time. Like the good teams do rather than every year coming to the off season, trying to pick off a couple of nice free agents that get it to everybody excited while your base just isn't there to actually compete. Right. I, yeah. I think, you know, that part of that is, is, as I've said it before, it's the fans responsibility as well. Um, you know, you can't just expect the team to go out and sign every Jadavian Clowney. I mean, you can't go and trade for Jamal. No, come on, you know, come on. I mean, why not we, Jeff? I mean, we, we don't, you know, <laughs> we really we're fans. We're, fans. we're yeah. irrational. That's what we are. We want to sign everybody. We want exactly. to go way over the cap. It's not our money. We don't care. Sign so, every so, player that that's good. That has a good rating in Madden. That's who we want. Right. Right. <laughs> right. But the outcome of that, Chris is, is that, you know, every year we put so much pressure on the team that yeah. if we don't instantly win, you know, if we don't win a Super Bowl next year, um, we've got a clean house. And, right. and that just puts us back into that revolving door uh, philosophy all the time. And I, I, I think we, we, we don't put enough um, of that responsibility on the fans to give a group of players time to gel, grow together, get out of their rookie deals. Um, you know, we put too much expectation on the team to win now. Um, and we pay the price for that year in and year out. It's kind of like Christmas. You know, we, 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 we come down, we see all the gifts under the tree. We see these nice shiny packages and we got the, you know, the big box standing over there in the corner and, you know, an hour later, everything's opened up and we go, Oh shit, it was all closed, you know, and, and pretty soon you, you hate yeah. Christmas, you know, I mean, come on, let's, 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 let's enjoy again. Oh, cringe. Wow. Yeah. Pretty soon you hate yeah. Christmas. That's a good line. Let's, I like that. Let's enjoy <laughs> The, the moment, you know, let's, let's just, let's enjoy these guys playing together and maturing and, and having great games. Sometimes you guys are going to get hurt. Bad things are going to happen, but you know what? Let's, let's just enjoy the moment. Um, and we, I think we've missed out on a lot of great football as a result of that. You know, we're, we're too busy trying to get the, the next head coach hired or the, the next GM fired. You know, yeah. Let, let's, let's just enjoy the team. You know, they have that that saying, success breeds success. There's, there's also the failure breeds failure. You get into that cycle, right? right? Yeah, and and yeah, you right. just you chase bad money with bad money. And that's the Browns have been stuck in that cycle for a long time. And we keep thinking we've made the move to stop that cycle. And it hasn't happened yet. It will happen at some point. But, but you're right. And I think also, to your point about the fans, it's got to be very, very difficult to be a GM, to be in the front office 
of an NFL team or really any professional sports team in 2020 where you've got, you know, jerks like us on podcast. You got jerks like us on Twitter. You got jerks like us on Facebook. You know, it used to be back in my day, you know, back in the eighties, <laughs> we'd all bitch about like grossy writing a bad article or something. And that would be it. We would talk about it around our, our water cooler. And maybe a few of us would call into like 1100 and complain about it, but that would be it. And, and generally it was the media kind of, and those few select people who would talk to the to be the go between? Whereas now, boy, if you wanted to, anybody in the Browns, the GM or anybody, could go on Twitter at any time, twenty four seven, and find out what a jerk they, their fans think they are. Right? They they will find. Yeah. I talked about people ripping on me. You will find at any given time somebody is calling you a jerk or a moron or something like that for one of the moves you made at any given time on Twitter, and uh, that's oh, yeah. that's tough. You've got to have some thick skin, and you've got to be the type of leader who is willing to put up with a with a reflog, willing to put up with <laughs> whoever it might be out there who's going to rip you for every misstep and just have that vision of, like, no, this is where we want to get to. Like, I may make some small missteps. The big ones, we're going to get – we're going gonna to have that success that's going to build upon itself to get us to where I want to be and have that yeah. vision and really commit to it. And that's tough. I, cu- I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, but no, that's what no, these guys have got to do. Folks, don't forget to check out our sponsor, Skippin' Stones, on Etsy.com. S-K-I-P-P-I-N-S-T-O-N-E-Z. Just do a search for the store. Find all kinds of handmade jewelry. There's stuff there for Halloween, all kinds of new stock. Uh, there's also lava bracelets, frame poetry, sports plaques, various items that will make great gifts or things that you may wish to purchase for yourself. Check them out today. Now back to the wrap-up of the podcast. I I think you make a great point about that. You know, the Monday morning quarterback um, has now become a 24-7 quarterback. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, There's there's a million of them. Why restrict yourself to Mondays? You got right. <laughs> off season, on season, you know, night, day, it doesn't matter. You're there. Mm-hmm. And, so and everybody's Chris, smarter than the guy actually making the moves. <laughs> right. That's right. So, Chris, I've asked I've asked other people on the podcast this question, but is is there a number of wins that Kevin Stefanski needs this season? In order to keep his job, no. Uh, what, no what's yeah, what's your thought, and where are you with the, with us? Rod, we just hired the man. We yeah. just hired the man, and we're talking about number of wins. Come on, with this regime, we have proven that if you win one game, we're bringing you back, right? <laughs> yeah, get back. We have proven that. So I would hope that Kevin Stefanski, as long as he wins more than one game or, or one game or more, that we will be bringing him back. I'm with you, and I, I, I think the I mean, and, and here's, need, here's an they honest need the continuity, question. right? Yeah, they do. And, and, and the, honest question, the honest answer, I think realistically, he's got to get us right there, right around 500. And plus, maso menos, you know, two to three games, which is where, by the way, the NFL wants every team to be at. You know, the whole NFL yeah, right. is set up for everybody to go 500, right? It's just yeah. the Browns haven't figured that out. You know, for, well, you have to try really hard to be worse than that. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, every season. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I think that 
realistically, for everybody to feel good about where we're going with him, he's got to be right there. Stone's throw from 500, hopefully above 500. <laughs> That's what I would say. Um, but certainly where you can make the argument where, okay, we're moving in the right direction. We've got a 500-ball club. Next year we're going to be playoffs, and then blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I think the problem is Andrew Berry comes in, and we have the same thing with Dorsey. Guys come in, and they assemble what looks like a, a good team, and then everybody gets so excited. Wow, this is you know this is playoff team on paper. There's no reason why this team shouldn't be in the playoffs. And then the fans get these expectations that this team needs to make the playoffs. Well, guess what, guys? We haven't been in the playoffs forever. Why, why do you expect this thing to be turned around in one season? Give this coach and, and these players and this GM a chance to gel. Let's see what happens when a, when a coach who actually shows he knows what he's doing sticks around for, you know, two, three seasons. And, and people are talking Super Bowl. Jeez, get us to the playoffs, you know. <laughs> if Stefanski's not the guy to take us to a Super Bowl, oh, my gosh. Uh, that would be horrible, wouldn't it? Be wouldn't it be terrible if we made the playoffs a couple seasons, guys? Do you imagine the playoffs <laughs> in Cleveland? I mean, people don't even understand. But no. you're 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 far you're far too rational, though, Rod. I mean, you really <laughs> like are. First. I mean, because yeah. well, what happens? We all say that, and then every year in the NFL, there's that one team that's that two teams maybe that have a magical run. Every single year, and that throws all of the rationality out the window. And we as Browns fans go, why can't that ever be us? Why can't that be us? It's somebody oh, else this right. year. It's the Rams this year. It's Oakland. It's whoever. It's some team that we think is going to be dog crap going into the season. All of a sudden has this magical run. They make the playoffs, and we say, that is never us. And we that should be us by birthright. We, as Cleveland Browns, should be in the playoffs, and this regime is not getting us there, but that regime could do it, and let's replace this regime because we know it's possible. <laughs> right? It happens. Yeah. We Jeff see talked something about like that. that. It's, yeah. it's, you're, you're trying well, to catch lightning in a bottle for yeah. one season versus trying to build something that, right. can, that can hopefully win consistently. And you win consistently by having a good coach and, and a good GM that stick around. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I, you know, I like I like everything that Andrew Barry's done. So you know, um, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, obviously, the, the best thing about Kevin Stefanski so far is what we understand about his offensive philosophy and the fact that we haven't heard a lot of crap about players getting in trouble. I think That's those are those, those are good signs. And, well, they've been quarantined, so they really you know couldn't. <laughs> well, it, I mean, there's been a few guys in the NFL who have still done stuff, but you're you're right. right. It's kept most guys out of trouble. But um, but yeah, I mean, nobody if, getting if, picked up for weed down there in Mexico, right. the Mexican border. <laughs> yeah, That's good. Pretty positive. Yeah, it's a good thing. So you know, hopefully Stefanski is is the guy, and if both of these guys uh, can stick around for a few years, you have to figure that Baker's going to grow and and these guys are going to gel and they'll keep adding players and hopefully the team can you know continue to get better. That's you know that's kind of what I think. So uh, right, I mean I, I see it as as the if team this year. You know if first of all we have a season. Um, you know if Jedrick Wills can move from right tackle to left tackle. 
if Baker can bounce back to what he was two years ago, and on and on and on and on. Um, realistically, um, if you answer some of those if questions this year and the team looks respectable, um, there's no reason to make a change. What do you think about Wills? What do you think about that move? Think he'll be able to do it? I mean, obviously the conventional thinking is with Tua, Me? he was on the strong side, even though right. that's the other side because he's a left-handed quarterback, blah, 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 blah. Um, but then just plugging him into left tackle in the NFL, do you think that's that's a jump he can make? He seems to be a very talented guy. You know, me me as a non NFL draft expert, you know, yeah. um, I I was shocked on draft day um, based on everything I had heard. Um, you know, he didn't enter the equation because in my mind he was a right tackle. Um, yeah. Now, based on you know what I've heard since then from people I consider to be very knowledgeable. Um, there's a very good chance that he can make that move in the NFL. Other guys have done it. Um, and he's got the right coaching to be able to do that in theory with Callahan. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then there's always a, a backup plan if he can't, you know, where he can potentially be a high performing guy at another position on the line. Um, but I thought it was a pretty high risk move on draft day. I've probably backed off of that somewhat since then. Um, I still see it as probably our, our biggest question mark for this season. Even if everything goes perfectly for him in that learning curve and, and you know, this off season is far from perfect. Um, but even if everything goes perfect for him, what I'm hearing people say is he will probably not be, um, much above adequate in his first season in that position. So that just sort of opens you up to all sorts of, you know, additional criticisms and, and potential pitfalls uh, along the way. What? I don't know. My I heart mean, just adequate, sank a little bit. sounding pretty good at left tackle right now. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, I think that I think he can do it, but I think a lot of, I agree with a lot of what Jeff's saying in that I think he will, I think they're with the learning curve. He's not going to be perfect. People cannot expect perfection out, out of him. It, it's going to take him time, and and I think he'll pr- hopefully continue to get better throughout the season. And you know, uh, with when you bring in a rookie and start him at a position like left tackle, you you have to expect that. I think. So um, I think I think we'll be able to do it, but I think it's I think it's going to take some time, and I think we'll probably see that as the season goes on. I think he was a pretty safe pick. I, I really, even though he's changing yeah. sides, I, I think just his level of talent coming from Alabama um, and what he's, you know, the kind of competition that he's used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I honestly think that that was, that was probably a pretty safe pick. And I think it was, it, I didn't think so at the time, but I think it was probably the right pick. Um, but like I said, yeah. there's a big question mark, just like everybody else on this team. But I, I, if it works out, it's going to be genius. Absolutely genius, because I mean, you, if, you free up so much. You free up so much if we if we get that left tackle position oh, solidified. Yeah. You know? I mean, if he's if he's even decent this year, um, it, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yep. Do you guys want to? Do you guys want to give our record predictions for this season? <laughs> how many? First of all, let me ask you. Let me turn the tables. How many games are we going to play? 
Yeah, I was actually going to ask you that. Yeah, that first, um, not how many games, but kind of what your what your thought was. Um, how many games will there be this season? <sighs> you know, I'm the eternal optimist, Chris, but I I really have a hard time with what's going on with baseball and and basketball and everything else, believing that they're that they're going to get 16 games in this season. Uh, I think it's going to be really tough to do so. Um, you know, I, I think if they get, I think if the NFL gets eight or ten games in. I think it. I think it would be. I think it would be a lot. So my guess is that that they that they go much less than sixteen. I'm I'm going to guess maybe they end up playing eight or ten games. Okay. More like a the old school college, not even college these days, but old something school, like that. I games. just yeah. I just think this. Uh, I just think that with the testing results that they're getting now and. Uh, you know, I don't want to get into all the 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 sides of it and all the arguments about the the test results and, and please everything don't. like that. Please you know? don't. No, yeah. thank you. It's just very. <laughs> it, it's just hard to imagine that they're that they're going to be able to figure out a way to to keep guys on to keep enough guys on the field. And then what do you do when a guy tests positive? you know, a day after a game and he just played against this other team, you know, do you quarantine both teams? I mean, what are you going to do? Like you're seeing with the Marlins. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's got got players on other teams going, Oh no, we're not going there to play. Like you're right. So it's, I think, I think there's the possibility of some, of some major issues coming up. So I think it's going to be tough to get a full season in. So uh, my hope is that they that they at least get eight to ten games on something of that nature. My my also my other hope is I think they're down. Are they down to one preseason game? Sorry. I think they're um, zero now, right? They're down to zero. zero. They're okay, down to zero. zero. Yeah. Okay. That then I am a happy man. I was hoping they would go down to zero on preseason games because my hope is at zero, maybe in, in in future seasons, we'll only go up to as many as two. I hope they at least cut it in half in future seasons because I just hate the preseason anymore so much. That's, I that's really do. I, I have found myself now looking back over the years. And the players, everybody says, well, you need the preseason for these players who may not make the roster to show what they can do. I look over the number of players over the years that I've watched preseason football and invested my hard-earned time in watching these guys and the number of guys who just ball out in preseason who end up, that means nothing. And and it's just so many. It's just so many. I don't buy it. I understand where NFL players come from. Well, I wouldn't have made the team if it wasn't for preseason. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to watch it. I hate as a, you know, and as a season ticket holder, having to buy those games is just a crock. But, uh, Yeah. But I, I just I do not think that it is as beneficial or as needed as everybody would like for you to to believe. I, I think a game, maybe two games, is about all they need. Certainly not four. And no. for this season, no, we need to have zero games with COVID. Hmm. I agree mm-hmm. with you. So but tell back, me back to your original point about uh, yeah. or question about yeah. the number of games that I think the Cleveland Browns, I think they'll actually play. I'll, I'll, I'll peg it at 10. Now, if I peg it at 10, I think this is probably, for this season, a 500-ball club. Um, so that would say 5-5. Five and five. 
I am going to give us the nod and give us the extra win. So I say we go six and four. And whatever format they have for the playoffs, that's going to be good enough for the Browns to make the playoffs this year. Because I am an optimist. And I am also 100% wrong every year in my predictions. (laughs) Do not take these to Vegas. Do not do anything with these predictions. Just let them lie here and hopefully die so you guys don't bring them back later on in the season when we go like 0-10 and and say, Well, I'm not going back to my predictions last year. I can tell you that, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm an optimist. I'm really praying, I'm really hoping that this team can be an over 500 ball club. And if they are, I think that's a playoff ball club. Yeah, I think it would depend on what, you know, which teams they, they end up playing off the schedule. But I would be thrilled with six and four in a playoff berth. I think that would be, that would be tremendous. I mean, that would be so huge for Cleveland. People I, don't even understand how big it would be. I mean, no, they don't. Even the Cavs, I, I mean, Cavs had a championship. So it's a little bit of a different level. But, you talk about the playoffs for the Cavs versus the playoffs for the Cleveland Browns. People haven't seen that in the city. I mean, it is just like shut down the city. That's all anybody talks about. That's all that matters in the world for those weeks that lead up to a playoff game or that week that leads up to a playoff game. I mean, you guys know it. I know it. It's just a different, different animal. And if we were to get that feeling back in Cleveland, you know, 2020 has been one hell of a crap year. And boy, that would really, that would be a really nice way to say, hey, you know what? Everything sucked this year. The Browns are in the playoffs. It's, it was all worth it, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. So, Jeff, you want to throw out a number of games and a record? Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say that, um, you know, probably in my lifetime, this is the first time I feel really good about the possibility of the Browns not losing a game. Um, and that would be because they didn't play any. Um, but I, I'm, I'm of the same school of thought that you guys are, that it's going to be some sort of an abbreviated season if it happens. Um, it's just going to be really tough. And, and I think, you know, with the NBA starting up, um, you know, there's, there's some similarities in terms of the amount of contact. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to probably be a, a better indicator of how viable sports are in our present state of things. Um, but yeah, you totally, totally agree that if, if there is a season and we're able to put together anything, you know, positive from this season, um, it's, it's going to be a win. Um, as far as the preseason games go, just one final thought on that. Um, I thought there was some conversation not too long ago about adding another regular season game, adding a 17th regular season game, and then eliminating two preseason games. That was, I thought that was part of a collective bargaining. It was part of the collective bargaining agreement. I don't know what, I think they, I think they, I think they may have agreed to that, but it's out a season or two. So I'm not sure exactly what's on the horizon somewhere. Right. Yeah. I think that may start in 21 or 22, something like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, getting rid of preseason altogether is probably unrealistic. Although I think it would be a good thing. Um, but I think they're moving toward fewer preseason games, which, you know, that's going in the right direction. Um, and God, everybody just hates those those games because well, I think it was probably part of our, a big part of our undoing last year. Um, 
you know, we were so busy focusing on those last 10 roster spots in those four preseason games that we had no opportunity for guys to play together and develop any chemistry or, or anything during the preseason. And you just, you saw the, and you know, blame Freddie kitchens all you want. Um, teams have to be teams to be successful. Um, you can't just throw individuals out there and expect them to, you know, know how to play together. So, um, I think you need a certain amount of preseason to, to develop that chemistry. But, um, yeah, man, for, for me, if, if we had, if we have a season this year and there's, you know, any amount of success with building the new offense, um, you know, figuring out some of these questions, um, it gives us something to build on for next year. And that, that would be great. Yeah. So one, one last topic guys here, and then we'll wrap things up. No preseason games. They're going to, they're going to have to do a roster cut downs without the preseason games. What impact is this going to have on guys from the undrafted free agents to, you know, to, um, I would think most I, I, I would think everybody was drafted this season making the team. But, you know, and some other guys, how do you guys see this playing out? Do you see certain guys as more vulnerable than other guys because of there not being any preseason games now? I tell you, it's a good way to kind of keep, as I think through it, a good way to keep everybody kind of on the same page a little bit more because these guys have got to not only be on it on the field but then also off the field because i think if you have missteps it's not like you can make it up in a preseason game and dazzle everybody and have the fans just you know be googly-eyed and demand that this guy be on the roster so you've got to not only be good at practice but you've got to be showing this coaching staff that you're going to do the right things that you you're doing all the right indicators that say hey this guy is an nfl player because you can't be goofing around and then thinking you're just going to ball out on a Thursday night in a preseason game against the Lions and be okay. So I, I think in that way, maybe um, may, maybe it's a good thing for some of these guys, some of the hard workers, some of the guys who do the right things. Um, but who knows? Who knows? That's that's just kind of a, a crazy theory as, as I think through it. But um, I, I think at least then you do have – some power as leadership to say, Hey, we all got to be on the right page. And if you guys aren't going to be there, then you're not going to be a part of this team. And, you know, there's no other way really to make it up. So, um, you got to fly straight. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts, Jeff? Well, yeah, I think it's going to give guys down the roster some opportunities this year that they probably would not have had in other seasons. Uh, particularly if guys, start testing positive and mass yeah. um, you're going to see people mm-hmm. having to step in and, and fill those roles and, and take on bigger roles. And, you know, you, you could see some guys really surprise you and, you know, become players that you never thought they could be. Um, so it's an, a neat opportunity for some of those fringe NFL players to, to get a you know, chance to play. That's a, that's a good point. Uh, something I hadn't really thought about. You know, I thought about, uh, you know, maybe, um, you know, some different guys making the practice squad and that because of that. But, um, yeah, some guys could actually find playing time that, that would not have otherwise. Um, yeah, and it could be an abundance depending on how the testing goes. 
So right. Nice. I mean, we look at this team now, we go, man, it looks great on paper, but what if two or three of our starters test positive? Yeah. Once again, Mr. Positivity over there. Yeah. You know, Chance, wet blanket. Christmas wet blanket sucks. On everything. Once again, Christmas sucks. <laughs> You see who's the optimist. You see, you see how he's my counterbalance. Chris. I definitely I, see that right. dynamic at work. Optimist. Yes, I am the counterbalance. <laughs> Jeff's here to keep it real. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Anyway, uh, Chris, I want to thank you again for uh, for coming on and joining us. Uh, um, episode number sixty-two. Uh, well, well I'll finally. You know, before another 62 episodes. Uh, 124, I'm in. Just go ahead and write me in in pen, pen. not pencil, because I I will will pencil you. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, everybody knows where to find you on Twitter. Um, Everybody can uh, also catch your show, the uh, the Big Play Reflog show. You want to give give some information on that? Yeah, so we have that every every Monday night at 9 p.m. Usually we have a guest. Uh, somebody in the orbit of Cleveland sports. Um, and it's an hour long show. You can catch it on my Twitter account. It's always pinned to the top. So it's easy to find there. And it's also available wherever podcasts are, uh, are, are out there. So you can get it on Apple podcasts and, uh, and Stitcher and all the others. So. All right. What, uh, what words of wisdom would you like to leave the, uh, the Cleveland Browns or, or just the fans of Cleveland with tonight? Oh, man, putting me on the spot. (laughs) (sighs) Be safe. Wear a mask. How about that? Wear a mask so that we can have football season because I really want to just see football. You know, we're we're in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs right now. And I'm down at the bottom (laughs) where I'm just thinking, okay, if we could at the very base have a little bit of football this year, I'll be happy with that. And then we build up from there to like, okay, now if we can win a few games, that would be nice. Now, if we could maybe make the playoffs, that would be nice. And then, of course, the top you get to the Super Bowl. Right now, I'm at the very base where I'm like, hey, let's everybody wear masks, social distance, do the right things, be kind to one another, and try. And if maybe we do all those things, we'll end up with some football. I would love that right now. That sounds good to me. <laughs> right. So I want to thank Chris McNeely. Follow him at Reflog underscore 18. Follow Jeff at Disposer Guru. You can follow me at Clearod B. This has been the Browns Blitz, and we will catch you next time.